for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blasey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 24. On today's podcast, Casey comes back on with me again for the second week in a row, and now we're actually driving back from Kansas. So we record this while we're driving. So you're going to hear a little bit of uh, truck noise while we're, while we're recording, but it's not that bad, honestly. Um, we get into a lot of cool things, a lot of uh, tactic type things. I asked Casey a lot of questions about how he likes to do things. Now, I've hunted with him for the last seven years, and I know how he does a lot of things, but for everybody else out there, a lot of people don't really know what he does. So we get into like scent control and, and using scents and how to use scents and and calling deer as far as like using your rattling antlers or a grunt call or a bleat or when to do it you know and and uh that's just scratching the surface of what we get into but it's it's a really cool podcast um we hit on a lot of things and i think you guys really enjoy it so you know as for me uh it is confirmed that uh jim abbott the deer that i was fortunate enough to have an opportunity at earlier in October he is alive it's confirmed he is alive and doing well he's got a limp but uh, the wound is actually healed up pretty well um, I, I put a I put a post on my social channels and and you can go on there and see you know right where I hit him and everything it was high right in the shoulder kind of where I thought it was not where I tried to put it but it, it was definitely high and I'm, I'm glad he is still living and um, you know, I hunted for him this weekend pretty hard, and believe it or not, he was in daylight on trail cam 
uh, going by the stand the morning that Casey and I got back from Kansas. So I was only going on three hours of sleep, so I decided to sleep in. And uh, wouldn't you know it, him and a deer that I call two crabs um, were chasing a doe at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, going into the timber where where I you know, had the encounter and got an opportunity at him before. So he's still alive and, uh, you know, he lives to fight another day and hopefully I'll get another encounter with him. You know, rifle season's, rifle season's coming up tomorrow and my wife and I are going to be hunting that farm, so maybe we'll see him again. And uh, I had a really good encounter with, uh, with a deer that I call Bomb Pop and uh, over a decoy, but I'm not going to get into it this podcast. I'm going to talk about that next podcast, so... Make sure you uh, download that podcast so you can hear all about that story. So with that being said, I'm going to turn this over to Casey and I's interview when we were coming home from Kansas. I am natural. And we are recording. We are hot. All right. Part two of our little deer swing here. Little deer swing. Yeah. Or 15-day deer swing. 15 which, days. Uh, which in reality for us is a little deer swing. <laughs> Everybody driving by is looking at us weird. What are those guys doing with headsets on like that? Some sort of starship trooper here. <laughs> to let everybody know, we are driving home from Kansas right now. We are in Pike County, Illinois. And we're recording a podcast with giant headphones and microphones on. The key to that whole thing is... It's the middle of the rut, and we're driving through Pike County. Yeah, do you want to explain why we're driving towards Michigan in the rut? Because I'm insanely stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, yeah, so the reason we're headed out is because Chris and I have an exciting new project coming out uh, that's actually going to be airing beginning in 2019 on Travel Channel, which is uh, kind of a new thing for us. Uh, we got a new show coming out. It'll be, uh, like I said, starting in July, and uh, it pretty much takes us all over the world. It's kind of a global adventure show. Uh, there will be hunting in it, uh, but it's more hunting like we do on Drop, so we're basically hunting for survival in certain scenarios. But uh, the real key to the show is basically trying to uncover uh, some of history's greatest mysteries in the wildest places on Earth. So we're going to be getting dropped in with the shrunken head people and looking for the lost tomb of giants. And just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was up in Alaska, and uh, we were trying to track down a plane that went down in the middle of nowhere with uh, some United States congressmen aboard, never to be seen again. And right now, we are Michigan-bound because I have to be in Virginia on Sunday. Uh, In Virginia, I'm headed down there to look for some lost Civil War gold deeper in the caves and canyons than ever anybody's ever gone. And that's kind of the key to the whole show is uh, some of these things that we're doing, some people have done in the past, but a lot of them require kind of a special skill set uh, to get so remote off-grid and live in the middle of nowhere and not die, be eaten to death, or kill yourself while cave exploring. So... It's pretty exciting for us. Looking forward to it. And uh, it's a little bit of insider info anyway. So, yeah, that's what's taking me out of a tree stand during the rut. So it'll be worth it if I find the gold. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, if you find the gold, then let's be honest. We are going to be buying a county, a full county. We've already talked about this. This is part of tree stand talk when you're having 
down sets. We'll, we'll take it back. I think it was last year we talked about Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. We yep. found out how much he makes a minute yeah, a we, bro- we broke it down. We broke it down. <laughs> we had a long 14-hour drive, and we broke it down. And, and we basically said, what would we do with the money that Mark Zuckerberg has? I said I'd buy a county in Iowa, and I'd name it Zucker County. Yep. I, mean, Zucker that's, County. I would buy a whole county. Yep. I own the county. It's that's that's my county. There'd be posted signs when you enter the county from any direction. <laughs> Stay out. Giant. There can be billboards because yep. I have so much money. Yep. This is my county. I own everything in it. Leave it alone. Yeah. So, kind of give a recap from last week's podcast. We were going after Bob Marley, and Bob basically turned into turned into being a ghost. Um, He's been a ghost. Yeah. We did find his sheds though we from did. last year. Yep. We Get sure did. this. We're taking a Banks blind out for Bob Marley. We're dragging it through the field. Now, Banks blinds, we got it up in the air, what, 10, 12 feet? Yep. On the skid system, steel skid system. I'm driving the Ranger. Casey's up in the blind. um, And we're driving out through the CRP, and we both basically see the shed at the same time. We're like, oh, you know, like lost of... You know, it was just like, what is that? It looks like a stick. And then we're, we're both like, that's a shed. And we went up there. There it is. Bob Marley's shed and uh 20 yards from where we're gonna put the blind yeah by the way. it was like a sign you know really we needed to put the blind there and uh found it what was it 14 inch g2 yep and what was the g3 on it uh 11 and change 11 and change and that side ended up scoring 69 and 7 eighths is that what it was yep call it an even 70 yeah even 70 at a three-year-old so then as an eight point as <laughs> he's big <laughs> so then we we uh, go out the next day to do a hang and bang down in the timber, down in the Bob Marley timber, and we had to drive by the blind, and we wanted to put a camera out on the blind. Uh, and we didn't want to drive close to the field or the, the timber edge because we didn't want to get skylined. So I just told Casey I'd, I'd run out there and, and just put it on the blind real quick, and I'd run back. And for him, it, it, it's just crazy how this happened. I'm walking out there, and I literally stumble on his other side. Yeah. We took a different route. For me to take that route, and if you remember, I was like, ah, let's just not put it out right now. I don't want to risk it. Yep. And then it's like, wow, screw it. Yeah, you can walk out there. So we took a totally different path. Yep. And uh, I stopped well short of the ridge line, and it was like, all right, walk out there real quick, and the rest is history. (laughs) He walked out there and found Um, his other shed. Unbelievable. In In a massive CRP field. I mean... At least a 150-acre CRP field. Oh, yeah. At least. To f- and what were they, 40 yards apart from where we found the other one? Yep, pretty much. So, and we ended up scoring that, and what was the final total on him? He With a 18 to 20-inch inside spread. Yeah, he was, we we mashed him together, and he was yeah. like 19 and 6 eighths. Yeah. So, he's all of 20, and just look at the trail camera pictures, he's 20 wide. Right. So, at that, he was a three-year-old slick clean eight point that was 159 and 7 eighths. So, call it 160 on the button, basically. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And he's bigger than that this year. Yeah, he's got to be close to, if he's not in the 70s, he's got to be close to 170. Yep. So that's kind of Bob. We hunted him for a little bit and saw a shooter nine one night. Um, just no sight, no sightings of him, no trail cam pictures. He's just, I don't know, we don't know what he's doing. So we decided to move. I think, I think he's a three-year-old, in all honesty. This I mean, year? Yeah, I think he's Really? Three, yeah. Yeah, when we saw him the other day, the other night there. Oh, the nine, the not nine. Bob. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, not Bob. Okay. No. I was like, oh, 
the nine. Yeah, when the yes. nine jumped, uh, he crossed that bean field, jumped that fence, and ran yeah. through across in front of us. Yep. I think he's a three. He's a hell of a stud. He's got Bob Marley jeans all through. Oh, he's yeah. He's super tall, uh, you know, high, and uh, I, but I think he's a three-year-old. What What do you think he's going to go right now? Uh, as a nine, he's probably 150, yeah, something he's, like that right now. He's got Bob in him for sure. Yep. Which means as a nine, conceivably, he could – he could blow up three to four, and he could reach up into that. You know, I've seen him 20-inch jump. Yeah. It's not crazy uncommon. Usually that's on a 10-point or something, you know, bigger than a 10. But as a 9, he could definitely potentially get there. Right. So we hunted for Bob for a couple of days religiously, like, focused, honed in on him. Never saw him on the hoof. Um, we did see him after dark one night, um, just kind of ran. Not after dark. It was right before right before dark Dusk, and yeah. yeah and we saw him for a brief second just chasing does but our problem was everything went nocturnal you know for the longest time we were just fighting the good fight and uh decided to kind of move to shakes you know the, the 190 inch deer and and uh last night we had a heck of a heck of a <laughs> heck of a night whatever switch needed to get flipped got flipped 36 hours ago yep because we went from those deer being nocturnal and those bucks just doing their thing, making scrapes and making their rounds in the middle of the night to literally that night we saw three bucks on does. Mm-hmm. Like that, big, like good bucks. Yeah, and that morning, uh, or maybe it was the morning before we had seen sundown with that doe and we pulled off the spot and stock. Yep. You know, got to 65 yards. Yep, I forgot about that. Got picked. Um so, yeah, I mean, whatever switch needed flipped obviously got flipped, and, uh, yeah, we're headed east, and I'm hating every <laughs> single second of it. <laughs> to be well, honest, it's it's torture for me right now. We'll be back in 10 days. I mean, it's it'll it'll be going. But, I mean, do you want to elaborate a little bit on last night and what happened? Yeah, last night was crazy. Last night was uh, definitely insane. Uh, so we ended up deciding to sit the junkyard. We had a good win for it for all the intel that we have on Shakes. Uh, last year, Shakes has actually moved a little bit this year. Uh, you and I saw him early in the hunt there. We kind of figured he moved into that hurricane timber. Yep, yeah. And that's where he was living, which is not a big patch of timber, and it's yeah. steeper than a cow's face in there. Um, we figured he moved from basically the west side, uh, from Huey over there, over to us. Yep. And was living in hurricane, so we decided to kind of focus on that. We put the high banks out. We did all that stuff. And all of the intel coming from our trail cameras, every time he came in there, he came from the bottom. Mm-hmm. You don't come into junkyard from the bottom if you're still living to the west. You come in from the top. Right. So it was like, well, he's got to be over there. So junkyard was where we knew we had to hone in on him between there and high banks. We had him on trail camera, I want to say, six times in five days in high banks. Yep. So we kind of rode that train. Uh, granted, none of them were in daylight, but we're hoping that you're going to be there that one time where he goes, hey, I'll go check and see what's out there. Well, you and know? there was a lot of does around there, so we were hoping one of them would come into heat and he'd just be yeah. maybe get him up off his, yeah. you know, on his feet. Or that's it. He's coming to check, right? He's coming out there to do a little scent check and just kind of see what's going on. Yeah. Um, so we rode the high banks deal, and, and that wasn't panning out, and we knew Junkyard was our other bet. We did hang that stand uh, at the bottom of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, which I still think he, he can, he definitely can can meet his maker from that stand. Right. It's just, in my opinion, it's either going to be middle of the day in the rut, or it's going to be late season when he's starting to go back to food. Yep. Um, but we moved into junkyard, and uh, 
yesterday we we saw a giant ape that we have 150 plus inch eight clean eight yeah clean slick eight mature huge, huge frame i mean just a and a toad of a of a body no he's giant body so. he actually his body almost makes his antlers look small yep in a way yep it does and that's like you know when you hear that about saskatchewan deer all the time they look at a deer and go there's no way that deer scores 150 well right. he's on a almost well, three up there 300 pound body yeah you know that'll make antlers look small in a hurry so um yeah we saw him we call him louie uh his name is louie because the first time we ever saw him was through the spotting scope <laughs> and i had the spotting scope out my driver's side window <laughs> and he was out in a green field and as I was trying to get the spotting scope set up, I had just got it on him, and I <laughs> leaned on my steering wheel uh, to look at him. And when I did, I hit the horn like a trumpet, <laughs> and I, I, it just, I'll never forget it. The loudest yeah. horn. Yeah, and it's all peaceful and quiet in the morning, and he's <laughs> out there all majestic in a green field, and I just light him up with the horn. <laughs> and I remember you, you go, did you mean to do that? And I'm like, nope. Matter of fact, nope, not at all. Oh, wow, what's happening here? Hmm, what's going on here, Steve? Hopefully he's not pulling us over. I don't know. We're we might be to, getting pulled over right now. We're about to find out. My man is freaking, that's incredible. I that is he, the first time that's. I, don't know, I think he's just pulling over. He's just letting us know he's pulling over. So <laughs> we're driving down the road, the highway. Didn't even know that was a cop, yeah. honestly. He was in front of me. I was going to say, with the way my <laughs> luck's gone, I would get pulled over from a cop in front of me. I have a lot of friends who are police officers. They'd love to know that. Hey, one of your buddies pulled me over in front of me. I've never seen a cop throw his light. Uh, we didn't get pulled over, but that would have been crazy if he would have pulled us over. Yeah, that would have been my luck. So anyway, back to back to Big Lou there. Yeah, what the hell was I talking about? Louie and playing the trumpet that yeah, morning? Trumpet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I played the trumpet for him with the horn of the old Chevy 2500 diesel. <laughs> <laughs> Just lit him up. And the best part is, is he never broke stride. He's nope. like, whatever. Didn't care. And yeah, you're, did you mean to do that? I'm like, uh, no. Matter of fact, I didn't. <laughs> Not in the slightest. You scared the shit out of me because I'm in, I'm in the back seat with the spot and scope with the camera, and I'm filming him, and you just light him up, and I'm like, holy, I jumped. My, my, my head went through the roof, I felt like. <laughs> I scared the shit out of me, too. <laughs> I thought you were trying to get his head to get out or yeah. pop his head up. Yeah. But... That's Louie. So. Yeah, so Louie, um, you know, and then yesterday Louie was headed towards Junkyard, and it was like, well, let's get up in Junkyard. We got a great win for it, especially for deer coming from the bottom. Uh, so we sat Junkyard yesterday morning, and uh, we had deer in there. We had young bucks kind of cruising around doing their thing. We got out uh, briefly just to kind of, uh, well, you had to charge some bats and yep, yeah. some other stuff and run back to camp real quick. So we did that, and then we jumped right back in. And last night was insane in the junkyard. It's probably one of the best sits I've ever had in there, and I've had some pretty good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had deer running all over the place. Obviously started started with the, the you know, Louie, believe it or not, showing up, you know, to our north, uh, which was great for the wind. We had a strong northeast wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, he showed up to the north and just popped out of the edge, out of the same corner that you and I have looked at for two years now trying. I mean, I'm, we're just waiting for the trees to grow in that corner. It's unreal that there's no trees right there. I mean, there's nothing. And had over the course of the last three years, we could have killed Slingshot there. We yep. could have killed Sundown there. We could have killed Shakes there. We could have killed Louie there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's the spot. Well, a um, lot of people are saying, you too, you know, with the guys like the Drury's, they're hunting out of box blinds all the time. But literally, if you were down here and never hunted it, 
when you can't get something in a tree, you hunt in a box blind. Like yeah. if, and that's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to pull a banks in there. Well, and we've said it for a long time. I mean, they're a fantastic tool. Uh, they're unbelievable to use, especially in a scenario like that. I mean, when we come back down, uh, we'll be dead back down here in about 10, 10 days or so. Um, you know, we're going to put a banks there, and it's mm-hmm. going to sit in that corner, and we're going to kill deer from it, and we're going to kill a lot of really good deer from it. Yep. Uh, it's in a great spot to rifle hunt and bow hunt. But anyway, Louis showed up, you know, from the corner there and made a scrape and then disappeared. Uh, he went kind of straight away, popped out all the way down at the bottom of the lane that we can see. And he popped out down by the barn. And uh, and when he did, I mean, you could really see his body size when he yeah. was down there. I mean, there was, so a, big. there was that two-year-old standing across the fence yep. from him, and, and Louis just dwarfs him. Um, so he was there, and then all of a sudden we see Louis puff up. You know, he cocks his head, lays his ears, ears back, back. You know, yep. puffs way up, and it's like, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? And you had the long lens on the camera, and you're able to get, you know, a full focus down there. And sure enough, little Shake stepped out. Shake's first first official sighting on the hoof that you and I've, other yep. than the other day, we what we thought was him. But yeah. I mean, this was official. It was it was Shake's 100%. Yep, there was no mistake in it. And uh, he came out of there, and to be honest, it, it was interesting to see Louie just make him tuck his tail. I mean, Louie push the shit out of them it's, down there it's a, a difference between 150 inch deer to 190 inch deer and louis that that's his haunt he yep. was like a bouncer at a nightclub yeah you he, know he was not letting shakes anywhere near the does that were down there nope. like nothing um and that that's also age too like when i look at louis louis every bit of a f- probably a six-year-old mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, he's just a big, old, angry eight. You know, I'd love to see Louis in the Island Eight square off. Oh, my god! That'd be like a battle of the monarchs. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would be something for the ages there. Yep. That's two big, old, grumpy deer. Um, but, yeah, Louis pushed him all over there. I mean, he actually made him tuck around the barn on one side. There's a hay yeah. barn down there, and he pushed him to the point where Shakes went around the side of the hay barn and didn't want to come anywhere near him. And uh, they stayed down there for a while doing the dance and doing their thing and then it got to the point where i remember you know just having the discussion in the tree of there's a really good chance with louis being down there mm-hmm. and those does down there that louis going to push shakes out of there and when he pushes him out of there the first place he's going to come to try to find another doe is up here in the junkyard yep and how far do you think we're away from them if i had to guess i would say it's probably 500 yards yeah I'd say 500, yep. down to the barn there. Yep. And he covered that 500 yards in, like, 25 minutes. Yeah. Because he showed up. Like, out of nowhere. Yep. He and he went up. right through that corner where we want to put a bank, so yep. we want to get a stand. Yep. Went right through the corner. Right through the corner. Popped out in front of us, and uh, we popped out. He was probably 60, 65, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Lights fading fast. Yep. And we had other deer in there. We had uh, that leaner eight from High mm-hmm. Banks was in there. We had a bunch of the younger Dewey. deer. Dewey was in there. Yeah. Yeah, we had a pile of deer in there running them all around. And I remember talking about leaner eight being down on the bottom there. Like, he was sitting there waiting to ambush a deer. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was just waiting for a doe to show up so that he could ambush yep. her. Uh, it was actually really cool to see. But when Shakes came in there, uh, you know, the whole dynamic changed. 
you see those younger deer just kind of like, oh boy, Back now up. I got to find that 60 yard buffer. Mm-hmm. I got to move. I got to get over here because now now there's an older deer in here. Yep. So the whole dynamic changed and deer started moving in different spots and everything was, you know, our wind was still great because they're all coming from the bottom in front of us. And uh, shakes cut across the lane. And uh, it's hard to explain the lane really to visualize just for everybody listening. The lane is like a, it's basically a two track. So there's an old foundation in the junkyard. Um, there's a strip of cedars right in the middle of a big wide open kind of circle. Mm-hmm. And we're set up in those cedars and we can look down this lane that's kind of a two track that used to come up to the old foundation. Yep. So it's probably 25, 30 yards wide. Yeah. Yeah. So we cut across the lane, dipped down into the timber where the leaner eight was and uh, pushed the leaner eight up out of there. And when he did, he also bumped that doe that was in there and the doe came up top. And just like you hope for, the doe came right at us. Right and at us. And she was walking right to that middle section of cedars that we're sitting in. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it had to do with security and cover, too, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Her, she's thinking, if I can get to that cover, maybe he'll leave me alone. You yep. know, he pushed me up out of here. I'll just go over there, and I'll hide in there. And she started coming right at us, and he came right up on her tail right behind her. And he wasn't running her. He was just walking, but she was yep. she was pushed, yep. you know. And... uh she came 12 yards probably right underneath of us and he decided to come to 28 and committed tw- yeah he was committed i mean he was he was definitely committed he was a dead deer walking mm-hmm. and he got to 28 yards and he was head on and that is the the extreme head on when he's facing directly at you at 28 yards I'm confident with that shot, but with the lane that he was in for me, yep. it was iffy because I had that bottom cedar branch, right. and it just it, it threading the needle. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to thread a needle, and and that's already a technical shot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was one of those deals where I'm like, I I have to wait for him to open up. Right. I'm not going to take a shot that I'm not 100 percent on. I got to wait for him to open up. Much like we did with strong arm. Yep. You think about that shot with strong arm. He came head on at us, and, and we let him walk. I think we killed him at that like ten yards. Yeah. If, um, if that, at the most. Yeah. Maybe even eight. But we let him come all the way up, and and you know when he turned and opened up like that, when they turn their head when they're head on, and they start looking to the side or behind them, yep. that opens up that whole front chest. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can pick inside the shoulder blades, you can. I mean. Strong arm is evidence of it. Look at that yep. deer. He went 60, 70 yards and piled oh, yeah. up. Um, well, and out in front of us, if he takes one to two steps to the right, he's in wide open for 40 yards. Oh, yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And so it's like he's committed. Just let him do his thing. He's going to he's gonna come right here. His doe's coming underneath of us. So, yep. Yeah, let it happen. And as, as luck would have it, um, you know, 190-plus-inch deer at 28 yards, and I didn't get a shot. So – he opened up, and when he opened up, he turned because that leaner eight was behind him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he liked that leaner eight being off his nope. his ass like that. Nope. He wasn't a fan of that deer not being visible. And he opened up and turned and started to kind of not run or trot, but he was like just a fast walk, really, yep. right towards that leaner eight, which is now directly away from us mm-hmm. on the right edge of my shooting lane. And he went over and bumped it. When he did that, his doe scooted out from underneath of us. She went to the south. And uh, the rest is history. He went and followed her, and we watched him walk away. Well, and he even, when he walked away, too, he went up right up to that deer and snort-wheezed right in yep. his face. I Lip mean, curl, snort-wheezed. Yep. He did the whole. Basically he, saying, get the hell out of here. Yeah, check me out. Yeah. You know. 
So, so it's painful. Uh, like I said, for you know, 14 days, whatever it was that we hunted, somewhere in there. Um, you know, we got a lot of history with Shakes, that's for sure, and this just adds to it. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about the battle that Chris had last year with Shakes uh, as a four-year-old. Yep. You know, and now we've got even more history than that. He eludes us again. Yep. So it's like, you know, that's part of why we do what we do because it's that one-on-one, like, you know, like we talked about last time, I'll meet you on your turf on your terms. Exactly. And we'll try to make this thing happen. And, you know, he he got the best of us yesterday. I would have never in a million years said I would have that deer at 28 yards in junkyard <laughs> in, the, get a shot. in the wide open and yeah. not get a shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he opens to the right, even if he opens to the right, a half step, mm-hmm. I have enough to yeah. to spank him. Yep. But I didn't, so we watched uh, a 190 walk away. I mean. And now we're going home. Yeah. And we're heading towards Michigan. Yep. And, uh, and we, I mean, we got back in the stand this morning early, quiet as quiet could be. Oh, left man. all the stuff in the tree, and it was dead. Saw <laughs> one little dink, Ghost and up. that was it. We Ghost pushed up. it for as long as we could, and we got to go home. But we're on the route home towards Michigan right now where the rut is kicking yeah right now you're gonna do some hunting when we get back there aren't you I am I can't wait to get into the one acre I just got a phone call from Matt my buddy and he uh bomb pop is up in the bean field right now just came out of the one acre he watched the whole thing happen a doe chased or he chased a doe out of the one acre out into the beans it's gonna be my first time slipping in there this weekend since the 5th of August August? yeah can't wait to get on that Wear your rubber boots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so too funny. Well, I hope you smack them. That's yeah, for sure. I hope so too. And Jim Abbott's still alive. I, nobody yep. knows that yet, but yep. us, because I I got confirmation that Jim Abbott, the deer that I shot earlier October, uh, my brother-in-law saw him in the hayfield that I tracked him through uh, the other day, and he is confirmed alive. He is limping. He's got a limp. So he's alive, and I just can't wait to get home and check those check those cameras and see if I can hone in on him too. Yeah, you know, you should. So that would be awesome. Either that or finish him off during gun season. Yeah, rifle rifle season's coming out the fifteenth here. I right. I want to point out something pretty cool that I, I think is awesome anyway, and it's the whole one acre thing. Yeah, I think this is a this is something that I've I've talked to a lot of people, whether it's at shows or at retail stuff that we've done in the past. Everybody wants a piece of ground or Mm -hmm. everybody wants to hunt a piece of ground. And one of the questions that I do get a lot is like, you know, how big should a farm be? Like, what is the minimum size for a farm? And my answer is always the same. You can have one acre as long as it's the right one acre. Right. And I think that, you know, with what you're going to do, hopefully in this one acre is kind of a testament to that. Yeah. Is there is no patch of brush too big or too small. Yeah. It's all about where it is, how it sits and what the deer see it as. And, you know, how they utilize it. I mean, I know areas that, you know, much like you've got their one acre that are one to two acre and they're nothing but a rut hole. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a picture of a deer there all year. Right. And we talk about this all the time, especially at the beginning of the rut when the first kind of does are starting to come into heat. Deer, and just like the other day with sundown, they will take those first does. In and the they, weirdest spots. They will go out of the way. The doe will go out out of the way where they can't be harassed Mm -hmm. where it's like they feel lucky i've got this first doe i'm gonna get her somewhere where nobody else is gonna find us exactly and i love 
hanging stands in spots like that for the yep. beginning of the rut. I really do because you just never know what's going to show up. And it's got a couple advantages. One, you don't have to beat 20 sets of eyes and 20 different noses mm-hmm. because chances are you're not going to see anything. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's for some people that's really hard. For some it people is. it's like I need to see deer. You, you got to see deer all the time. And, and I know going into that too now, everybody knows that have been listening to this, but I call it the one acre, but it's an 80-acre farm with one acre of timber on it, that's it. You yeah. know, but, but I've got a really good scenario. The only downfall I have is my access. I can't hunt it in the morning because I'm walking through a field yep. to get to it. Yep. So that kind of takes that out of the equation. But it kind of makes it a little easier as well because I what well, my plan is is to get in there mid-morning, yep. 9, 10 o'clock, sit the rest of the day. Yeah. Now, um, it, it does pose its, you know, its uh, disadvantages of like what you just said. I know going into this, I'm not going to see a lot of deer. I'm not going to go in there and I'm going to see 20 deer at night. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm probably only going to see maybe two, three deer, maybe, if I see them at all. But one of them is going to be the one. Should be the right one. Yeah. And because seeing deer and killing deer are two vastly different things. Yeah, and that's that was my take this year on trail cams, too. I, I put my trail cams way the hell out of the way. I, I, I really, I, I've kind of moved them. You know, right when you want to transition them to scrapes, more towards where my stands are. But I, I moved them way the heck out of the way just to, to get that pressure off of there. And I have not been in this one acre since August 5th. Yeah. It's set. Nobody's been in it. Nobody's been on the farm. It's been so wet in Michigan that my brother-in-law can't get in there and harvest the beans. So the beans are still on. So they're going to be there for a while. Nobody set foot on this farm. And I've got a couple good things going for me, too, is the neighbor's. Not, not a lot of the neighbors hunt, but I'm in farm country. And like you said on the last podcast, you know, you can watch your dog run away for three days. Oh, yeah. In this part of, the, of, of central Michigan. Now you go 15 minutes to the west on my family farm, the whole, se- the whole mile section is timber. Yep. Like it's just vastly different. It's from, ag- you know, very heavily farm to there is farm over by my family farm, but it's just farm country. But it's there's a lot more timber, a lot of and timber. Draws yeah. And that kind of stuff, yeah. I'm hunting fence rows in this little one acre. So, yeah, yep. it's it's unique. And like you ju- like you said, you know, how, how many acres is it? A lot of guys think they need to get a big farm. You really don't need to if you have the right scenario, like you said. And I've done a lot of work to, to try to make it the right scenario because before you could walk up to this one acre and you could see through it but now you can't because i've done so much hinge cutting it's thick you know grasses are growing up in it i actually in august i went in there and and and, uh, planted a little clover plot i don't even know what it looks like right now but i went in there killed it broadcast it and it's really wet in there usually a lot it's moist and uh, i'm hoping that's up so there's food in there there's bedding and like matt said tonight you know when he called and he said he ran her out of there out into the beans and that's where he wants her to be, you know. So, yep. and there's a reason for that. That's out of the way of everybody else, right? And it's not a spot that I'm gonna be able to hunt, you know, ten times a year, because I'm not gonna hunt it in October. I'm gonna hunt it in the rut. Yep. You know, that's that's. And a lot of people are probably like, "Well, I like to hunt too," you know. Well, it's like I do too. You know, I used to say, "As much seat time as you can get, get in there." But you also got to be smart about it. Don't go in there with the wrong wind. Don't go in there with the wrong time. Like if it's 75 degrees and it's hot, you know, and it's like middle of October, it's probably not a good time to go in there. You're probably not going to see anything. You're going to do more harm than good. Well, so you know, and I've said, you probably heard me say this a thousand times over the years. There's two ways to hunt. You can hunt hard mm-hmm. or you can hunt smart. Yeah. One or the other. I personally prefer to hunt smart. Yeah. That's just 
how I do it, not saying it's good, bad, indifferent, better, or worse than any other way. Yep. But I like to think it's worked for me in the past. I like to think it's been successful, and I haven't seen a reason to change that yet. Right. And, you know, I get to see an outsider's perspective between you and Chris. And you and Chris are two, you know, pretty different hunters. You know, you're oh, yeah. you're more of a sit back and, and let's figure this out, and then, then let's move in. Chris is more of the – he likes to see it um, – you know, get in the stand and put the seat time in, which is not bad because he's nope. made it's it's worked for him as well. I've seen yep. both work. Yep. You know, he likes to he likes to get on you know in in the space and and just see it from the stand and then and then move from there. We you know you like to sit from the truck or sit from the buggy and glass and just like take it all in for a couple of days and then then let's go in. You yeah. Know? And usually our hunt our first two days is spent gas and glass. Yeah. I mean that's what we do. That's yep. how I do it and. You know, I try to be with every hunt, every single sit, no matter how long I've been hunting that spot, that stand, whatever it is, with every single sit, I go in with the mindset of I need to be as minimum low impact as humanly possible yep. on this sit and every sit, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's wind direction stuff. It's do I call, do I not call? Do I put scent out, do I not put scent out? Right. Do I rattle, do I not rattle? If I do, how do I do it? You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Because no matter what, if you put scent out, you're interjecting something that's unnatural at that mm-hmm. point in time yep. into the environment, right? So it's like I try to be as low impact and, and as minimal impact as possible. Yeah. Well, and that's a little bit what I want to talk about today. I want to kind of get in some scenarios and ask some, you know, tips and tricks that you like to do. And, I, I, I mean, I've hunted with you for seven years now, so I, I know a lot of them. But I, I kind of want to explain to everybody kind of how you do it. And, sure. And because, I mean, I've learned a ton from you in the last seven years and, and things that I can really implement on my hunting in Michigan some things I can't just because it's, you know, it's different. It's all relative. You know, it's like I'm not going to pull out my antlers and rattle in Michigan yeah. because I'm just going to scare every deer in the, wo- in the woods away, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. And we talked about that the other day. Yeah, they're going to look around <laughs> and go, oh, shit, and i got to get out of here. What the hell was that? That I'm majestic my- deer that everybody talks about. <laughs> yeah. He's here. Yeah, we got to go. Missouri Monarch moved to Michigan. <laughs> my ass is out of here. So there's just some things like that. But, like, first one, let's get into uh, calling. Yep. And, you know, like last night we, we, we had a scenario with, with Louie and, you know, uh, Shakes down there. And we actually kind of talked about it in the tree as they're down there and kind of what to do now. So in that scenario or any scenario, let's just, you know, what is your calling regimen? Let's, let's st- first start with blind calling. Do you like the blind call? Um, usually I don't. Usually I won't blind call uh, just because I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, I've, I've never experienced good success with blind calling. Um, I'll try it occasionally. Usually if I do it, it'll be in the rut. It'll be like late morning. Mm-hmm. And I want to be 100% sure there's nothing near me, at least that could see us yep. when I do hit that call because that's the kiss of death. Yep. You hit the call and all of a sudden you look down and you got a deer staring up at you at 30 yards. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, boy. you know. Yeah. Um, so truly doing a blind calling, I'll try it every now and then if I do do it and this goes for everything i do when it comes to calling if i do do it i start with what i feel is the least intimidating yep. of everything so i'll start with a doe bleat yep i know a buck is not going to get threatened by a doe bleat right and it's not going to gonna hurt you in any way that's right it yeah. shouldn't hurt you i'm not going to say it won't yeah but it, it shouldn't i mean logic would say 
if a buck hears a doe bleat, he's not going to be like, damn, he can whip my ass. Right. You know what I mean? i got to get out of here. Yep. So, um, and that's for all calling. Even if I have a buck within sight, you know, I will start with a doe bleat. But it's got to be the right time of year. I'm right. not. I'm not bleating at them, you know, in in September mm-hmm. or early October. Um, but you know, vocalizations in deer, in my opinion, and that's all this is. Is this is all my opinion? I'll just throw that out there. You know, people can take it for what they will. But deer vocalizations. I mean, bleats are not uncommon in the deer woods. Right. You know, they're certainly a hell of a lot more common than grunts are. Um, you know, bleats are just a way of communication for deer. It's what they do. You know, yep. does bleat at their fawns. Fawns bleat at their mamas. Uh, you know, they all do it, and it's not unique to the rut. Now, an estrus bleat is unique to the rut. An estrus bleat is a little more whiny and drawn out. Right. You know, yep. um, that's what kind of separates it from just a bleat any other time of year. But that's where I'll start. I'll start with a bleat, and, you know, if that doesn't work, sometimes I'll – that's it. That's all I'll try. Right. You know, um, but the progression for me kind of starts with that and starts with a bleat. And if that doesn't do anything, if I feel like I want to try to get the deer's attention to maybe pique his interest, like, you know, with Louie yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, I'll take take the grunt call out and uh, and hit the grunt soft and subtle. And usually, you know, I'll, I'll point this out, too. Usually when I do my calling, I never aim at the deer mm-hmm. uh, just because their hearing is so incredible i'll never forget then this is just a good example of their hearing i'll never forget one time i was looking at a deer uh in kansas uh the year i killed uh rib cage actually the the same day i think it was that morning uh i was looking at a deer that was all the way down at this bottom and i was sitting on top of the ridge look overlooking this cut cornfield and that deer had to have been not a word of a lie 600 to 700 yards yep and i was kind of trying to figure out he was a three-year-old he was a stud uh he was a real nice three-year-old eight and i was just trying to figure out okay where are we in the rut here because i had just got to kansas it was like my first sit i was coming hot off a you know awesome rut hunt in iowa Uh, i shot i killed a 163 on it was a great great deal so i'm like i'll use that three-year-old to try to figure out where we are Mm mm-hmm in the rut in Kansas, which should be pretty close to where I was in Iowa. So I grabbed the antlers, and I did just a quick little rattle, boom, 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 and I hung them up. And that deer, I had those antlers hung up by the time he heard the sound and turned and looked. And I kid you not, and we have it on film, that deer came that entire way and stopped five yards from from my tree. Yep. I mean, that's how good their yeah. hearing is. Yeah. They, it's not just... It's not just hear something and go to that area. Right. It's pinpoint, here I come. He came right to the spot. He came to the tree and stopped. Yep. You know, that wasn't an accident. I mean, he came right to it. So yep. that's why when I when I call and even when I rattle, if I'm rattling at a visible deer or I'm calling at a visible deer, I always try to face the opposite direction. Even if I'm looking at the deer, I try mm-hmm. to turn the call on the side of my mouth yep. or aim it down towards the ground. Um, I never give it, you know, right to them. Because I think you can hurt yourself by doing that. Yep. So, so you know, in one instance I had when I was hunting in Michigan a couple of years ago where I did, I'm the same way. I, I usually don't grunt right at them. I did grunt right at a deer. And, and the scenario I had was 
a doe had just came through it was the rut a doe had just came through on a trail and it was like probably three to five minutes later a buck uh a three and a half year old buck comes right down the trail knows the ground you know just trotting and everything and i could not get him to stop and what i did is i just i went he was going away from me and i know it wasn't downwind to him he was upwind to me so i blew the grunt right at him like really loud just to get him to stop yep. he stopped and he kind of just looked up and then that's when i went away from him and gave him a couple a couple like soft grunts and he came right to the freaking tree yeah and we got him killed yep you but know? the important thing is is he's heading away from you yep right so you're still not i mean even though you're facing his direction his ears are facing the other exactly way. so yeah. he's not He's not broadsider. He's not, you know, you ever watch a deer work their ears, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't have one ear facing your direction, one ear facing the other way. Right. So, I mean, you can get away with something like that, you know, easily. Um, I just, I always I always tend to, to try to do it in a different direction because, for me, calling a whitetail, I'm not trying to call a deer in. Like, right. and I think, you know, and I'm not, again, not saying it's right or wrong, but I think a lot of people have that mindset of, I'm going to call this deer in. Mm -hmm. what, I, what I personally think and what I try to do is I'm trying to pique his interest. I'm trying to let him know that there's other deer over here that maybe he should come this way and take a look. Yep. You know what I mean? Come and investigate. Yeah. I'm not calling at him or to him. I'm calling so that he thinks like, whoa, what was that? Yep. Maybe I'll go over there and see. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if I'm pointing it right at him and he's got an ear up and I do that, then, uh, you know, the battle's over before it's been e it's even been fought. So that's kind of, you know, my thing. And, and the other thing with grunt calls as well. So, you know, as I if I bleat and they don't work, if I do grunt, depending on the time of year and where I think they are in the rut, depends on the style of grunt that I give. Yeah. Um, you know. There's there's a chasing grunt, there's a tending grunt, there's a, just a straight up I'm the boss grunt. You know, there's all these different. You hear you hear a lot about like the roar and stuff yep. like that. We had a buck do it last night. Yeah. Roared a couple times. Yeah, and th and that's a real thing. I mean, I've heard some gnarly like, yeah, just like was that a deer? drawn out? You know? Yeah, yeah, was that a deer? And then other times you hear that distinct grunt that's like a like it actually clicks in the middle. You know, so. Again, it all depends, like, which kind of grunt I hit him with. One of the ones that I'm personally a fan of is, uh, that's my phone. One of the ones I'm personally a fan of is a lot of times when they're chasing, and I've got firsthand experience with this, they get their nose down on the ground, and for, like, three or four steps in a row, they just bark, 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 yep. bark every time their, their front hooves hit the ground. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like to mix, you know, those little chasing grunts burp, 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 with one yeah. of those roars. And, you know, I've been successful with that in the past quite a bit. So, and again, when you're trying to pique a deer's interest, not trying to call him to the tree, what you're telling him audibly what he's hearing and the vocalization that he's getting from that is he knows that that bark, 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 he knows that's a, there must be a doe with that buck because we only make that sound when right. we're doing this. Yep. You know what I mean? So, so that's my explanation anyway. So scenario like let's let's take a highly pressured state such as like a Michigan or a PA. Now you grew up in PA, hunted PA a lot. Yep. Um, New York, stuff like that. Yep. So you're not necessarily going to rattle. So let's throw the antlers right out of here. What is your scenario in a highly pressured state like that? What kind of calling sequences? And this might be a very vague question, but um, maybe I can give you a scenario as as far as like you know blind calling or yeah let's just start blind calling are you going to blind call in a highly pressured state 
with a grunt or a bleat? And, you know, if so, when are you doing it? I'm not because chances are in a highly pressured area, the deer are not going to be super vocal. Mm -hmm. That's just my opinion. I think if there's going to be a lot of hunting pressure, you know, and, and that's how it is in that spot, chances are the deer are trying to be as under the radar as possible. Yeah. So the less calling that they do, the better, you know. It's like a turkey going quiet. Yeah. I mean, it's the same, in my mind anyway, it's the same kind of thing. You ever see a gobbler get on edge, boy, he'll shut up real quick. Yeah. You know, and you'll still see him, but he's not making a peep. Right. So no matter how much you call to him. So that's just, I mean, that's, again, that's my opinion. What I would do is if I do see a deer and that deer already goes through A, B, C, and D and hasn't done what I wanted that deer to do and it's on its way out and it's leaving, that's when I would resort to, okay, let me try this. Let me grab a call. Let me bleed at him. Let me follow that up with a grunt if need be and see if I can get his attention to turn him around, to bring him back in here, to make him come to this area. You know, it, but chances are, if he's already go th- gone through A, B, C, and D, I'm either not in the right spot <laughs> or he's not coming in no yep. matter what I throw at him. Right. You know, I could throw the damn kitchen sink at him and he's not coming. I got you. So, so you know, with the calling and everything, I think kind of hit what I wanted to talk about. But next I want to talk about uh, scents. And you're pretty particular about your scents. So let's start with mock scrapes. Yep. Are you making mock scrapes? And if so, when are you doing it? And what are you putting in a mock scrape? So mock scrapes, um, I don't tend to actually make a lot of mock scrapes. I will early on. I'll make a few. I like to focus on what's already there. Again, going back to that minimally intrusive, right? Mm-hmm. As low impact as possible. I like to start with, there's a scrape here. I'll look for community scrapes, yep. you know, which a lot of times if people aren't familiar with community scrapes, they're usually the biggest scrapes in the area. The ones everybody says they're as big as a truck. Hood. Yeah, the ones that are, that's <laughs> the size of the bed of my pickup, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. So I like to start with community scrapes and really – you know, I'm not huge on hunting scrapes. Uh, personally, I'm not huge on hunting rubs. What I think uh, scrapes are phenomenal for and what we use them for is inventory, mm-hmm. uh, especially those community scrapes because yep. every buck that may have a, you know, it might be his core, it might be five other bucks fringe, but they're all going to hit that one scrape. Yeah. It's like the center of a Venn diagram, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that scrape is that big because there's that high of a concentration of deer in that area. Yeah. And again, it might be a core for this guy, but for that buck, that's the fringe of what he's doing, you yep. know? So, um, and generally speaking, again, just going back to low impact, I won't touch it. I'll try to get a camera on it mm-hmm. and let nature be nature and let it do its thing. Now, if I do make a mock scrape and there's times that I absolutely do, um, I usually wait until it's a little bit later on in that pre-rut stage when they're kind of starting to get geared up, their necks yep. are starting to swell, testosterone's kicking in. Right. Um, because I think at that time what I like to do is I like to put, you know, a tarsal gland scent in there that gives that buck the, the impression of like, whoa, who's There's this? There's another buck in, yeah, in his territory. Whoa, who's coming into my bedroom? Yeah. You know, I've been here successfully. I know every deer in this area. And now all of a sudden there's a random scrape mm-hmm. that I didn't know about that's got somebody else's piss in it. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's what it is for me. So literally you're just trying to you're trying to get into a, a, a buck's area that there's a scrape already made and you're just trying to make them mad. 
yeah. and try to like maybe he'll do his loop, you know, yep. a little earlier, yep. you know, or something, and, you, and you're trying to pick him off yeah. from there. You're just trying to pique his interest enough to where he says, in my head anyway, he says, I'm going to come here a little more frequently to yeah. see if I can catch this guy in here. Right. Because I want to know who it is. Yeah. Because I'm the boss in here, not him. Yep. You know. Now, do you ever throw dopey in a scrape? I will. Yeah, I'll, I'll put uh, I'll put Astra's urine in a scrape, and and does, you know, even that's why community scrapes are so big because does hit them too. Yeah, you know, it's not just bucks that are, you know, scrapes are basically where are we in our breeding cycle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a signpost as to where they are, you know, and, and as those pheromones and everything, you know, come out of the deer as they progress in that cycle of the rut, that's how bucks know when to start getting fired up. The more estrogen that they start to get wind of the more testosterone they start producing yeah. and that there's kind of that whole biological chemical change that takes place in a deer's body so i i don't have any problems putting estrus you know doe estrus in a scrape whatsoever especially during the rut now i'm not seeking out scrapes to hunt like look at that scrape i'm hunting here right but if i've got a scrape nearby my stand that's being used and hit you bet your ass I'll put estrus in it because yeah. that's like that's a calling card, right? That's yep. there's a hot doe here again. Under that mindset of maybe I should frequent here a little more often. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should go bed right over here so that when she comes in, I can check her or catch her yep. or you know whatever. Well, we did it last night too because there was a scrape you know made, and I think that scrape over there behind the junkyard is probably a community scrape. It's yeah, it pretty is. big. Yep. You know, and a lot of deer have been hitting it, but, I mean, you threw some scent in there, and yep. it was some asterisk, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and boy, was that potent, like, oh, from yeah. the stand. I mean, it's, what is that, 70 yards from the stand, maybe? Yeah. And you're sitting up there in the stand, and you can you can smell it like crazy, you know? You can smell it. And imagine if it smells like that to us. I know it. But you also notice, like, so the junkyard kind of sits down in the bowl. Mm-hmm. The minute you dip off the hill and you get into that bowl, it smells like rut. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ruddy every the time. The minute you walk in there, you can smell it. Yep. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge factor for those deer in, you know, that just that, uh, you know, that odor, that scent. I mean, they can tell what's going on the, the second they walk in there. Right. You know, they can tell it from a hell of a long ways away. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my thing with yesterday was let's get some estrus in there. And, you know, if we get a buck coming from a different direction, you know, and really the main reason I wanted to do that was in case we had a deer come across the backside of us. Yep. He would hit that estrus line before he hit our scent line. Yeah. And hopefully when he hit that estrus line, it would make him turn, which would keep him out of our wind line. Right. Because in the junkyard, there is no fail safe wind. No. I mean, that's going to blow a section out no matter what you're sacrificing something, no matter what you do. Generally speaking, we know the deer 90% of the time can come this way and that way, the majority of it, but you're always going to be given something up. There's always that chance, especially during the rut when deer, their, their travel patterns kind of go to hell in a handbag and a deer's going a buck, especially is going wherever the hell he wants to go. However he wants to get there. Yeah. So. That was kind of my thought process behind that. So with a drag rag, are you ever doing drag rags? Yep. And if you do, I mean, when, when's the best time, in your opinion, to do them? Uh, middle of the rut. Like, I mean, the heart of it, like mm-hmm. it is now. Like, it was just, you know, started down there in Kansas where we are. 
Um, but I'll do drags, absolutely. Um, and the way that I do drags uh, is I actually will put the most concentrated point. I don't just start dragging a drag through the timber. Yeah. I will go to a, to a spot, and I will actually put the estrus on the ground at the same time that I'm, you know, hitting it on the on the drag right as i'm pouring it on the drag i'll let it hit the ground and then from there i will drag it over and in front of the stand and i kind of do like a little a little loop or a little almost like figure eight yeah so that there's a cross usually in the middle of it that way no matter which way the deer picks it up he's following it in a figure eight Mm -hmm. and that x is generally right in front of the stand somewhere yeah because no matter which way he comes from no matter how he follows it, he's going to loop around and end up in the middle of that eight where those two things touch. You're basically making a, a pinch point or a funnel with scent mm-hmm. right in front of you. You're just yeah. concentrating them to a certain area. Yeah, put an overhead and look down on your on what's in front of you and just draw a figure eight right there. Yep. And you can do it, I mean, you can do it 30 yards, 50 yards, 60 yards, 80 yards. That That's all you know, yeah. up to you. But, you know, for me, the, the reasoning behind why I concentrate the scent on the ground and then I drag away from that towards my tree mm-hmm. is because, generally speaking, you know, you want him to think and you want him to get the impression of, okay, this is where the doe was squatting. There's the majority of, you know, her piss on the ground. Right. And now I'm smelling it and I'm going to follow her and she went this way. Yep. So it's most highly concentrated right there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not vice versa. If, if it's... If it's, uh, you know, not as concentrated down there where he picks it up, you know, he might go the other way. I just, again, I, it's just kind of one of those things in my head. That's how I do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of people have different ways of doing it. And, yep. you know, and there's a rhyme or re- I, mean, I guess not a rhyme or reason. I mean, there kind of is, but like a lot of different things work, you know, like. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of people make mock scrapes and hunt over them, yeah. and they and that works that way, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, and they can be super effective. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, for me personally, again, the way I do it has been, you know, overly successful in my mind for a long time. So yeah. until I have a reason to not do it that way or until I come across something that I think makes better sense, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I do. Well, and you were talking about the less obtrusive as you could be. You know, the other night we did a hang and bang, so mm-hmm. we've – I don't know if anybody else did it, but I mean, oh, we kind of people coined. saying it now. There's a lot of people yeah, saying it now. Back no, in, it's been back, a long time since we've been hanging and banging. Back a long time ago, like seven, eight years ago, we started hang bang, hanging banging, and what we, it's you're running gunning, and but you're we're going in there with the stain on our back, and we're hanging it, we're hunting it right then, and it's uh, the best sit you can get. It is, it's it is. So we decided to go in the timber in the Christmas tree farm to to go after bob we were going in to hang then we were you know we we're taking everything in and we we're gonna sit and and uh and hunt that night so when we went in there you know we we don't cut anything because it's it's more scent all over i mean yep. you're, you're kind of it might handcuff you but it's worked for us and you know it's tight in there where we were at so i should we shouldn't say we don't cut anything yeah we'll, i mean we'll it, cut as little as, as possible. As little as possible. So, I mean, you got to cut some stuff. Yeah. And know? if we do cut it, it's not a clean cut. It's a hinge cut it, let it hang. Yep. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Don't put your hands on it. Wear yep. gloves. Yep. Don't you know. Yep. So, and that's kind of my, 
my transition here is your scent regimen and everybody's got a different scent regimen and for us we got to kind of be extra careful because of living out of a tent and you know usually if we've got you know everything convenient we take a shower before every set right now we try to but it's just sometimes it's just not conducive to what you know we're constantly going and so your scent regimen let's start from the top i mean uh you know right from how you wash it where you put it how do you take care of it you know yep take that from from point a okay um so at home i will have my wife basically do you know three or four loads and uh she's gracious enough to do my laundry for me which is phenomenal (laughs) she's just ask her she's a hell of a homemaker (laughs) actually i'll never forget one time this will this will give everybody an insight into my wife she's kick ass um she said that laundry is her favorite domestic chore (laughs) that is about the only thing domesticated about my wife she's a she's a wild card i could see lisa saying that too (laughs) she's a pistol that grew up in the northern bush of saskatchewan town of 700 people we met way up there back when I was guiding in the day and we met at a fly-in lodge and she was running onshore staff and I was head guide and doing that whole thing and it was love at first sight so now she does my laundry for me which is cool <laughs> um, but yeah so what I'll do is basically uh, she'll run you know the, let's say she's washing towels and stuff like that around the house she'll run those first couple of loads of laundry before my clothes in scent free stuff just to kind of clean out the you know, all the gunk and grime and, and scent that might be there from any of the other detergent stuff that she uses. Um, but I start with, uh, you know, the laundry. I'm a, I also pay attention to laundry before I get into the scent stuff. I also pay attention to the UV side of things. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I'm 100% like for any of this or against any of this. And I don't want people to get the wrong impression of me saying, like, this is the way to do it. Because that's not the case. This is just how it makes sense to me and right. my, my outlook on it. Yep. But there, the UV thing, for me, washing with uh, detergents, I happen to use Dead Down Wind. Yep. Um, washing with a detergent that has no UV brighteners in it is not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. It can only help me. Right. You know what I mean? So... I pay attention to UV, uh, and I wash with uh, with dead downwind, and it, it's it's no worse than washing with anything else. Yeah. So you know, I happen to have had incredible luck and incredible success uh, with the dead downwind stuff. So mm-hmm. that's where I start is with the laundry when it goes into the you know that's the wash, and then when it goes into the dryer, uh, I put dryer sheets in with it. Dead Downwind makes dryer sheets. Mm-hmm. I put the, uh, those in there with it. I think they uh, they come in like a 15-pack or whatever. You've seen them, little orange yep. packs. Yep. So we use the Dead Downwind dryer sheets. And then from there, I get it out of the dryer uh, as soon as I can. And it goes right into my tub. Uh, I actually carry uh, uh, plastic tubs, essentially. Yep. And I also have these orange bags that Dead Downwind makes, like a field bag. Mm-hmm. So I go, uh, a lot of times I go into the bag, into the tub. And then inside the tub, you know, I every year I kind of refresh it. Um, I've got one cedar branch that's been in my one tub for probably the last 10 years. And it's like my lucky cedar branch. I yep. can't get rid of it. I notch it with every deer I kill every year, and it's in there, and it's never leaving. And you just cut like a 10-inch like a section off a of cedar, right? Yep. And kind of 
put yeah, the I, shavings in there and everything. Yep, and I cut a little, uh, just a branch, just like a two-inch round branch. Yep. And put it down in there, and, you know, I, that first year I'd, I'd do a little shaving on it so that it gets that good cedar smell because we hunt a lot of cedars, you know. Yep. Now, if you hunt a lot of oaks and you have no cedars where you are, that's not going to make a hell of a lot of sense. Right. But at the same time, I put a lot of leaves in the bottom of it, you know, and it goes back to that's kind of, that's how I was raised and how I was taught to do things. Like my dad, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that will remember this, we used to have the big, giant, you know, they weren't Ziploc bags, but they had the, the zip on the top yep. of them, you know, that you press together and then slide all the way down. Yep. And that's how my dad taught us to bow hunt. Like way back when, it was your clothes go in this bag, and there was dirt in the bag, mm-hmm. and there were leaves in the bag, and there were all kinds of stuff. Again, it's all natural, right? So um, back then, we didn't have scent control like we do now. There was no laundry detergents. There was no anything. I mean, back in the day, the old man was... I mean, we were coming straight out the tide. <laughs> right, know? exactly. So, so it was like, uh, I don't know how much this works. But this Never really played the wind or anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you kind of did. but oh, Pennsylvania dude, guys lit fires. Yeah, smoking yeah. darts in the tree yeah. stand. Yeah, out there just smacking the sticks in the stand. <laughs> smacking the doomers. Yeah, just hammering the doomies out there, sticking nails in the coffin left and right while they're bow hunting. <laughs> it's like, come on. So, hey, I'll, I'll give him this. A lot of dudes killed deer. Yeah, so, a lot of them killed good I mean, deer. Do you look at Michigan, a lot of dudes killed deer wearing Mackinac plaid. Oh, so, yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I go into the bag and then into the tub. The tub's got leaves and sticks and everything in it. And then from there, the, it gets sealed up in the tub. And, uh, you know, I dress in the field. I do all that jazz. It's a little bit different. Um, if I ever do get a little bit lax on it, which I try my best not to, but like you said, the scenario that we're in, hunting, living out of a tent for the whole fall, yep, all that stuff, I think if you are going to get lax, the rut is probably when you can get a little bit lax because yeah. the bucks are like, Barr, they're all blacked out oh, yeah. and crazy and, they're st- dumb. and stupid. Dumber, um, anyway. Yeah. No, but normally, you know, get dressed at the truck, you know, I'll drive there and maybe – well, usually it's my long underwear, my Crocs, and a pair of gym shorts. Which Crocs are cool. That's right. Crocs are cool. We, we talked about last yeah, podcast. Yeah, we established that, we established that in podcast one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, and then once we get, get to the wherever I park the truck, I'll jump out, pull the tub out of the back, open it up, get dressed, and in the stand we go. Yeah. Now, do you go as far as, like, handling it with, you know, what went from dry washer to dryer with, your bare hands or gloves or you I get that? It. No, yeah, I barehanded. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that super crazy about it. Um, I barehanded. The one thing that I have been turned on here as of late, and again, uh, just the way that I look at it, you know, I'm not, you know, saying it's the, it's certainly the solution for everything, but uh, is the whole uh, ozone thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I find this ozone thing extremely interesting. I know that, uh, you know, the the origination of the ozone and the history of where ozone comes from. Uh, at least as I understand it, has actually uh, been used in hospitals in the past. It's yep. kind of like a disinfe- disinfectant type yep. deal to kill bacteria and everything else. And really, to me, it makes a lot of sense if, if you know, bacteria is the main cause of odor, right? Right. So, um, so I use Oz, which is by Scentlock. Yep. Uh, I've got one in the truck. There's one sitting right here in the truck. And then uh, the radial unit that they have and then the, the big Oz chamber. Uh, as a chamber ba- bag, yeah, the which is nice. Bag. Yeah, it's awesome. It's got like that perforated hose and everything that goes yep. around it, um, and it's got the car plug in, it's got the wall plug in, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so the ozone is a, a, extremely intriguing to me. And again, I, I approach everything 
uh, with that mindset of, I don't feel like this can hurt me any. I feel like it can only help. Right. So uh, in the event that it kind of passes that sniff test, for lack of a better word for me, yeah. then, you know, I'll implement it and I'll certainly try to use it. And, I, again, you know, I just go back on the successes that I've had and what they do for me. And the, and the one thing that I do want to touch on with scent, uh, and I've said this a thousand times, you've heard it a thousand times, is absolutely nothing, in my opinion, replaces playing the wind. No. So I agree 100%. I mean, I know at one point in time there was a company out there that, uh, you know, used to have a saying that was, forget the wind, just hunt. Yeah. Like, what? No. No. It's, yeah. You know, you and, know I, and I'll go as far as, like, that company approached Chris and I and wanted us to do, like, a partnership deal with them and be ambassadors for their brand and everything. And I wouldn't do it based on the fact that I that's horrible advice. Right. Like, no, don't forget the wind. You can't yep. you can't forget the wind. A deer's not going to forget the wind, yeah. you know. So. And that's the thing. It's like there's some guys out there, too, and that they think – their scent regimen is so bulletproof and they you know activated carbon and uh zeolite and everything like that and i'm not saying it doesn't work but they go in and and doesn't matter the wind they'll hunt it no matter what and i don't know it's just really hard for me to believe in that you know i i do know activated carbon works very well but it is not 100 percent. and i don't know i just don't think i don't think you can every Everything that you take in the in the woods with you, I don't think you can get it 100% scent proof. Now let's let's break it down. And my my point is to this: you're taking your bow in there, your arrows, mm-hmm. your knocks, your knocks on your arrows could have some scent on them. You can sure. throw zeolite on them. You can spray them down. Yep. You know you your put, broadheads, your do you string. Put, uh, do you put bow wax on your string? Do yeah. You put string venom in your serving. Do you lube yeah. the cams? I mean, all those. All those different things. Exactly, and then you know a lot of the scent, a lot of the you know spray down scents or you know cover up scent rush your bolts on your bow and everything like that. So a lot of guys don't like to do it, but like I don't spray my bow down, but I do keep it in a case that has cedar boughs in it, and I put earth wafer scents, which that's how I grew up too. Is like I love the earth wafer scents. You know <laughs> what I mean? And it smells There's like dirt. I love the it. One hanging from my mirror yeah. right here. It's my interior of my truck smell. So it's like I just don't think. Everything that you take into the woods can be 100% bulletproof. I mean, it can't. It, it, and, and to be honest, I'm of the mindset of why put yourself in that position where you have to absolutely rely on that to be 100% bulletproof. Right. You know what I mean? If you play the wind, chances are you shouldn't have to worry about it. Yep. So. Right. But there's still products out there that, again, if a deer does come in from the wrong side, I'm putting myself in the best scenario mm-hmm. between – dead downwind the way i wash my clothes the oz with the scent lock and how i do the ozone stuff i'm putting myself in the best scenario to beat that deer's nose yeah if he does come in from the wrong way right so well uh, a lot of guys think like the equipment the equipment side of things even my rattling antlers all the way to my bow i mean you practice and shoot your bow sweat builds up on your on your mm-hmm. you know on the grip on your bow and everything yeah. else i use dead downwind field wipes Yep. you know i don't want just like you said, I don't want my bolts rusting or anything. It drives me nuts. My drop, my bow after dropped, I look at it and I'm like, oh my god, it's a yeah, this is terrible. Like, you know, how could this bow, you know, bolts be so rusty and everything else? But you know, it's also outside in the elements all day, every day for 30 plus days, getting the hell beat out of it. So, 
but you know when it comes to that stuff dead down windfield wipes i wipe exactly where i need to wipe on the bow and yeah you know try to keep the scent down well and too you know a net gator is huge you know a lot of people don't understand that a majority of your scent comes out of your mouth yep. and out of your neck yep. or you know out of your body from like your neck and everything and yep. Um, a neck gator. I wear a neck gator over my face all the time. I don't wear a face mask, but I do wear a neck gator, you know, up towards my nose and everything that covers my mouth. Um, I've been trying to cut down on wearing a baseball cap all the time. I still do it, but I've been trying to, you know, wear a wear a toque or a stocking cap, yep. you know, a, a little bit more just to shield that scent a little bit, but. Um, I mean, like I said, nothing is 100% in my in my eyes, and a majority of them out there are gonna say it's not never be 100%. But yep. and then another thing too is we had this discussion, kind of goofing off in the stand this morning after the hunt was kind of over and we were getting ready to get down. But I, I said my feet were cold. I mean, it was freezing this morning and wearing rubber boots, you know. And y- you just I don't care how thin that the boots are, you're just my feet are terrible. I can never keep them warm. And I'm like, I'm going to get some lace-ups knowing I'd get a rise out of you because <laughs> because I know you're against lace And I'm yeah. against lace-ups, too. I mean, you always, you know, tuck your boots in your – that's how I grew up, and that's the way it is. You know, we always wear rubbers. Yeah, I, I rock the hell out of my Mendels on Dropped because yeah. they are the best freaking boot, in yep. my opinion, for that environment. But when it comes to whitetail hunting, I wear rubber boots, and that's how I roll. Well, how many deer have we had follow our trail in or cut our track or something, yep. you know, and have never picked us off, yeah. never. And and if it is an odor that they smell in that rubber, you know, a lot of people be like, rubber boots stink. Well, the, the point of rubber boots is they don't hold scent. Right. You know, they don't absorb scent like, you know, a leather boot does. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's kind of the theory in my head anyway behind that whole thing is, it's not going to absorb scent in the event that, you know, you have your boots on and you run back in the house because you forgot something. You know, right. it's not going to absorb that scent. So, yeah, we've had deer walk right down our trail a lot, numerous mm-hmm. times. They walk right down the trail. And if they do catch a whiff of anything, it's it's non-intrusive. You know, that's right. the other part about human scent. Human scent has pheromones in it and hormones in it and everything else that deer, in my opinion, because of the power of their nose, can pick up on. You know, there's certain scents to them that don't have any alarm factors, in my opinion. Right. You know, if they smell, you know, an old rusty windmill that happens to be, you know, on a pond dam somewhere, yeah. that old rusty windmill, that scent is there, but that scent doesn't have pheromones in it. That scent doesn't have hormones. You uh-huh. know what I mean? That yeah. scent doesn't have, uh, you know those kind of signal sense is what i think of them as yeah you know whereas every animal living and breathing that emits an odor has you know pheromones in in those scents mm-hmm. it's a whole it's a whole different beast i mean it's just however you want to look at it and yeah and and do it but the last thing i want to talk about and this is something that's kind of been people have kind of messaged me and asked me and a while ago and really wanted me to talk about on the podcast and I thought it'd be a cool time to talk about with you because you've had a lot of scenarios in the moment of truth especially with big animals yep so let's take you know whitetails for instance you know in that moment of the truth we had one last night um you know how do you deal with that and what is a good way to channel 
you know, the moment of truth to, to kind of slow the moment down in a way because it seems like it speeds up. I go in yep. blackout mode, yep. and, you know, it's just I call it muscle memory. I don't know if really that's yep. just my best term, yep. you know. But, you know, what's your take on the moment of truth and what's the best way to combat it if you're having a rough year, you know, or rough couple years that, you know, missing deer or spooking deer, you know, and, you know, hitting deer bad, like, What's your way of combating that? Yeah, so <laughs> that's a that's a funny thing because there's a couple of factors, I think, that play into it, and I'll touch on muscle memory first. I think that's one that, you know, there's muscle memory in any sport or exercise or activity that you do yep. handwriting. There's a reason people say it's like riding a bike. Yeah. You know, once you can ride a bike, you can always ride a bike, right? right? Your mind just automatically goes to that place. Yep. So I think – Obviously, practice helps um, tremendously, and, you know, you, you hear a lot of people say, you know, practice makes perfect. That's true to a certain extent, but I used to have a hockey coach back in the day, um, you know, when I was playing junior hockey, they used to say, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Right. Right? So um, that's how I like to approach everything. But that being said, as far as practice of shooting, I used to be a guy that would go out Every night, I'd put 20, 30 arrows through my bow mm-hmm. every single night. And the reality of it is, you know, life happens, right? Right. You've got work and kids and <laughs> wife and all these different obligations, yep. and that's just not feasible anymore. And as much as I enjoy it, it's just not feasible for me anymore. Now I go out and I have my son shoot, you right. know, and I help him. We talk about it, you know, my oldest rider. Um so the reality for me now is in terms of practice is I try to practice for the scenario that I'm going to be in. So, you know, if I know I'm going on a spot and hawk, uh, spot and stock hunt, I will try to practice scenarios that I could find myself in in a spot and stock hunt. I've been shooting a bow long enough. You've been shooting a bow long enough. The majority of bow hunters out there that are doing this seriously mm-hmm. have shot a bow long enough to hopefully have their form pretty damn good right right you don't need the 30 40 50 arrows a day thing yep to have your form damn good what you do need to do is be prepared to shoot the way that you might shoot in the field right so in a spot and stock hunt that might be uphill that might be downhill that might be off of one knee that might be off of two knees that might be standing up just like you do in your backyard Mm -hmm. but i'll try to prepare specifically for the scenario i might find myself in Right. Whitetail, get 20 feet up in a tree, build a platform, do yep. something to where you can practice. Shoot shooting. off the house or yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, do something. Certainly wear a lifeline and a, and a safety system while yeah. you're doing it, a yep. safety harness. Um, but put yourself in that scenario because your form is going to be most of the way there if you shoot regularly but it might not be all the way there if you find yourself in an awkward situation. So you Mm -hmm. just need to kind of somewhat prepare for that. And that's kind of my approach to the practice side of things. Um, The other part of the equation for me comes from, and to be honest, I've guided a lot of whitetail hunters. Yep. I have been over the shoulder because all the guiding that I ever used to do was one-on-one. Yep. I was in the tree next to them just like you are with me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where a lot of my calm came from or my like patience, patience came from was 
having to be so focused not on pulling the trigger and or sending that arrow myself right but trying to talk my hunter through it yep and the right way to let it all play out yeah so i think my process is a lot more cognitive like thinking and trying to stay one step ahead of the deer so that i'm prepared when the when the unexpected happens yeah so i mean that's just how i approach it now the minute i send that arrow I black out. Mush. It, it, it's <laughs> literally, I, I mean, I'm, it's, it's gone. It's, it, my brain goes to pure mush. Yep. Um, generally, I know where the deer goes. I pay attention to that part. Yep. But after the deer's out of sight, I mean, my legs start bouncing. You've mm-hmm. seen it. I get the shaky legs up there, and it's like, whoo. But, yeah. but my, my first reaction when I see that deer is I, I look at the deer when they're coming in, and the first thing I tell myself is, this is over. You got this. It's yep. game time. Yep. Like Lock in. Lock in. This is what you're here for. This is what you're doing. You know, there's an unbelievable deer right there. There's a hell of a lot of meat on that deer. Like, the whole nine yards. This is this is what I'm built for. This is what I need to do. Right. And I think it's that focus over time just with clients and helping them through the process and seeing them do it has helped me kind of build up that calm you know, the nerves really don't kick in for me until after the shot. Right. You know, and I've always said the minute I lose that after the shot, the minute I lose that excitement is the day I'll, I'll hang my bow up, I'll hang, a, I'll hang my rifle up, and I'll never touch another one. Right. Um, you know, hopefully that day never comes. Yep. It's, not, it's not coming anytime <laughs> soon, I can tell you that. So, yeah, for me it's just, you know, I think that's led, that's led to, you know, just kind of some sort of a calm or relax. Like last night, I mean, that, that shakes is a 190-inch deer. Yep. And – you know, I was cool, calm, and collected. This mm-hmm. is what I'm here to do, and this is what I'm going to make happen. Yep. Now, when he started walking away, was that moment of like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And that's, you know, that's where you start to get a little like, "Ah!" Oh, and I started getting nervous. Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? Because that threw a monkey wrench into the whole program. Yep. But, um, you know, one thing I know a lot of people do, and I've had this talk with a lot of people, is the minute you identify if you if you have a deer you're chasing and that's the deer you're after say you got trail camera pictures you've seen him whatever it is the minute you look at him and identify it's him stop looking at his head yep quit looking at the antlers you know it's the one you want that's it you, you don't need to look at him yep you're not going to look at him if you keep looking at him you right. know what i mean you're not going to hold him if you keep looking at right. him so you know stop looking at the antlers um if he's you know 80 yards out 100 yards out close your eyes for 5 or 10 seconds get inside your own head yep you know Tell yourself, I got this. I can mm-hmm. do this. This is what's going to happen. You know, and, and really just, just try to think. I mean, that's, it's hard to explain, but the more, you, the more you can think and try to understand what he's going to do and be prepared for it, right. the less you're going to be shaking all over the place and freaking out, yep. right? So. Yeah, and, and a, lot of the, a lot of how I combat it, too, is, you know, back, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or so, I had, I had a couple of rough years where I was missing deer and, and hit a couple deer and couldn't recover them and and i really needed to to do something about it and figure out how to slow that moment down and what i found was was good for me one is you know just getting out there and getting some confidence shoot some does you know that was one yep you know just get that moment because that that's a you know a five to ten second moment you know just get in there and and shoot some deer and, and get some confidence building and um the other one is educating myself with more of how a deer is acting you know i've tried to educate myself and this might be way out there but this is how i felt so deer deer coming in you know how he's 
moving his ears, how he's, his body gestures, his posture, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like how, to me, that was a lot. And like, you know, it's like a turkey with the snood, you know, mm-hmm. the longer the snood is, the more relaxed he is. Once that, once that thing shortens up a little bit, he's getting a little nervous, yep. you know yep. what I mean? It's just trying to educate yourself a little more with that. I don't know if that's, that's just the process I went through. And then I kind of came up with something, a way to talk myself through it. And it's just, like you said, I black out when I'm filming last night, I blacked out. Like you just, you're so locked into what you're doing and it's, you know, it's, you have a job, you, you've done it so much and it's like, you just know what you got to do, you know? And then when you're, then when you're done, like I'm shaking just as bad as you are, yeah. and, you know, and it's, well, that's the moment we all live for, right? Yeah. It's that adrenaline. It's that feeling of like, man, I just did this and now look what I have to show for it. Yep. You know, I've got meat from my freezer, you know, I mean, all these different things. That's the moment we live for. But your yep. point about paying attention to the deer, that's huge. Yeah. That can't, you can't under or oversell that. I mean, that's massive. You got to look at the deer when they're coming in and you have to pay attention because, you know, and I'll give you a perfect example. Last night, had shakes come in with a little bit stiffer gait, Mm-hmm. When he was head on and didn't open up, if he had a stiffer gait, I might have taken that shot. Yeah. Because I'd have known this is a now or never moment. Right. You know what I mean? You pay attention to the deer and you understand that, like, okay, he's a little on edge. Yeah. Something's not right. He knows something's not right. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's not us. Maybe it's the fact that he's got that buck over there. Maybe yep. it's the fact that he just got run out of the bottom by Louie. You, you just know he's off you know what i mean had i known that i might have tried to thread the needle yeah you know and it wasn't i mean it, it was a 95 percent shot i'm not right so it's not like i would have had squeaked it through a two yep. inch hole um but i might have treated it differently but in our case last night he was as cool as the other side of the pillow man not a care in the world he was relaxed. well he did have a care in the world of that other buck but he didn't know we were there yeah you but, know? He, but, no he idea. Was, but he was still relaxed oh yeah you know relaxed. i mean he yeah. was totally walking around He'd stick his head down and Yep. You know, grab a grab a bite of grass on the way by mm-hmm. and then walk down in and bump the doe. And, again, he wasn't yep. chasing her. He just kind of walked her up there. Yep. Uh, you know, and it was there was absolutely no reason for me to believe that he would have turned and done what he did. Right. You know, until I saw the buck on his ass. And when I saw the buck on his ass, he turned right there, and it mm-hmm. was like, yep, there goes that, and we're done. You know, but he, he didn't show any signs of that. So it doesn't always work out in your favor. Yeah. But you can know how to treat that moment of truth if you do make it a point to pay attention to how the deer's acting. Yeah. So. And that's what I meant by it. You know, if, if you got a deer out in the bean field 35, 40 yards, which is a little more of a poke, and he's just totally relaxed and, you know, not a care in the world and everything, you know, you can, you can sit back there and it's a little more comforting knowing that he's probably not going to, you know, he's going to probably try to jump the string a little bit. Some deer do, some deer don't. But yep. if he's on edge looking up like you just oh, stopped him, it. he's jumping <laughs> it. He's jumping it. Yep. That's what I did with Jim Abbott, you know, earlier yep. this year. He yep. was walking on a good clip, and I had to stop him. He was in my last hole. And then I went to mush. When I stopped him, it was like, oh, damn. You now feel, I, he's going to move. You he's going to rush. Yeah, yeah I felt rushed, and I hate yep. stopping deer. I hate stopping deer. I'm not a fan of it either. And, you know, I had to. It was just one of those things I, I did, and, and – look thank god he's alive and lives to yep. you know hopefully come by my stand again here this year and maybe this weekend but anyway i mean i think that's just a couple of good ways of you know educating yourself and, and practice like you said for the scenario you're in and also just trying to get get the process that that you as a hunter can talk yourself through it you know everybody's different so yep 
get get slow the moment is a great way to put it. Find a way to get in your head and talk yourself through it, and uh, and hopefully you'll be more successful for it. And the reality of hunting in general, but especially bow hunting, yeah. All we can do as bow hunters is practice and put ourselves in scenarios to do right by the animal. Yep. But that's not surefire. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Animals are going to get hit. Unfortunately, animals are going to get wounded. Um, That part of it is what it is, but we owe it to them to make sure we're doing everything we can to not have that happen. Right. You know, and I wish I could sit here right now and tell you that I've never missed a deer or that I've never skimmed the belly hair off one. Hell, mm-hmm. in the last two years, <laughs> I've skimmed the belly hair off a 170-inch 10 yep. uh, and, uh, you know, curly last year. Yep. So it's like it happens, you know, and I've done this for a long time. Um, I've done it for a living for a long time, right. and, it, and it still happens. So, you know, the most that we can do is practice and do our best to not have it happen. Uh, but you show me, you know, a bow hunter that tells you he's never missed a single deer, and I'll show you a guy's full of shit. <laughs> because you do it long enough, you do it as many times, something is bound to to go wrong or not happen exactly as you planned it. Exactly. So, and yep. that, and that's just that's bow hunting. That's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. So, I think we're gonna need 55 here, 55 mm-hmm. north, 55 towards Shy Town. Yep. Yeah, we got about six hours left coming up on Chicago, coming through Illinois here again, or again still. And but we got a Steeler game coming on. Oh, Thursday night football. Steelers. Six fifteen here. Uh, Central time. Seven fifteen. Oh yeah. yeah, she's gonna be starting right now. Here we go, Steelers. Here <laughs> we go. In case anybody didn't know, I was born and raised in the Berg. You can take me out of the Berg, but you can't take the black and gold out of me. <laughs> At least I have a football team that I can root for also other than the Lions that are successful. <laughs> yeah, preseason champs since like 32, right? Yeah, yeah something like that. Sure. Yeah, we got a couple of rings to show for it. Sure, sure. We get old Kiesel back in camp this year. Yep. That was fun last year. Brett Kiesel, ex-defensive end for the, the Steelers. Yeah, the beard. The beard. Number 99. There's yeah. – <laughs> there's one human on this earth that my beard envies it's kiesel's <laughs> Kiesel i think every beard in the world shames that oh, i to that beard dude, it's the greatest beard ever it's, it's in his mustache is what well, i mean that just really pulls it it's through uncanny right it's the, the unbelievable. Mu- yeah the mustache just seals the deal so uh kiesel does this really really cool event every year it's a uh, fundraiser for children's hospital in pittsburgh it's called shear the beard uh, so what he does, if, if you guys don't know this, what he does is he shaves it in February and then he grows it out for an entire year. And then uh, he holds like an auction where people will actually get to clip his beard and shave his beard off and do all kinds of cool stuff. And a lot of the Steelers participate. Last year, the old two-niner yep. from the Penguins, old Phil Bork, the old two-niner from the Penguins took part in it. Yep. So it's a really cool deal. It's uh, it's an awesome Roethlisberger was there. James Harrison. Yep, Ben was there. Harrison Charlie was Batch, there. ex-Lion, by the way. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. DeCastro, all those guys. Yep. Yeah, so I guess let's get some Thursday night football on. We've been talking for an hour and a half. Has it been an hour and a half already? Hour and 25 minutes. Man. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, I can't believe anybody would willingly sit down and listen to me <laughs> spew my filth for that long. That's you, <laughs> Me also. I can't yeah. believe a lot of people like 
like the podcast. And I think it's cool, man. I think it's a great thing that you're doing. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I look forward to, and I know we, we've flirted this idea out there before, is uh, starting a little over the shoulder maybe. Yep. Yeah. You know, doing a, doing a podcast where we bring in, you know, unique perspectives from uh, other cameramen and yeah. stuff like that with a with an over-the-shoulder deal. It's still in the works, and I'd really like to do it sometime. We've been kind of hashing out the details within the last little bit. But, yeah, basically it'd be bringing in field producers slash cameramen and talking about, you know, the point of view from, you know, it'd be like me, like talking, you know, you have your side of the story, yeah. you know, yep. and what was it like going through my head killing Strongarm or you know, majestic lion or something like that yeah. and chase him, you know, it's like yeah. the grind and you're, you know, uh, you said majestic lion. And all I thought about was you standing up like a bean pole <laughs> in the middle. Of that okay. <laughs> all right. So remember we were talking you gotta, about, you got to tell them about it. You, you get gotta, locked in. I mean, yeah, so you black out, blacked out. <laughs> this was our second trip up to Alberta um, and we left, we were in September. We were there in September for 10 days, hunted him come back in october and it's cold i mean it oh, is cold. so cold in uh, a wide open pea field basically it's just like our frozen pea field froze we pea, just frozen pea field crawled across for an hour and a half yeah and it, basically for everybody in the midwest you know it's it's like a cut bean field it's basically exactly what it is and he's bedded in this little swale in this crp and it's basically like us walking down the highway to the city to and he could see us the whole way. <laughs> I don't know how us. he did not see us. <laughs> it was heavy be- belly crawling heavy, skills. Heavy, muddy. My yeah. camel was ruined after Dude, that. Dude, you'd, you'd have thought I was a spec ops guy <laughs> the way we were crawling <laughs> through that field. So anyway, we, we crawl for at least hour and a half to two hours. We finally get up to, I don't know, 80 yards or something. This deer still bedded. <laughs> finally, I mean, we sat, him, sat on him bedded for how long? I mean, oh. forever. Yeah, we got to the fence row and got in that fence grass. Yeah. And we're sitting there, and it's Casey and I and, and uh, Lee McNary. And uh, we're sitting there, and I'm basically, so when you're doing a spot and stalk thing, you, as a field producer, you want to, you got to act as one person. So there's n- you're technically not even there. So when the hunter goes up to shoot, you go up with him. You don't go up first. And you certainly don't go down second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. A well after second. <laughs> In a wide open pea field. With so a 208-inch muley at 60 yards. So this deer finally gets up and works down into range. And we're like, we're getting, it's moment of truth. We're getting ready to pop up. And we put, Casey goes a full draw and we pop up. And Casey pops back down, and I'm just standing in the middle of the field <laughs> running the camera. <laughs> Staring into the viewfinder. It's literally a turn to punch bowl. Yep. That's what I was right yep. there. The deer's at 60 <laughs> yards, but he's facing me. Again, head on. Apparently deer like to come in literally head on yep. right at me. Yeah. So I couldn't shoot. So I hit a knee, and I let down. <laughs> and something just like 10, 15 seconds later made me turn my head. I don't know if it's I didn't feel you bend down off my shoulder <laughs> or what. And I turn around, and there you are, just standing up. Right Playing the, the trumpet the right yep, there. Here I am. <laughs> Don't worry about me standing out here like a statue. Oh, my I'll God, I you, panicked. It, it, in your point of view, it was probably like somebody you could tell someone was, like, looking at you, but, you know, you, you didn't see the human. It's like, God, where, where was he? He's, yeah. And you look up, and you're like, get the hell down. You well, know? normally I always feel you. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, I can – I'm not physically touching you, but I can feel where right. the camera is. Yep. I can feel you off my shoulder or whatever. Yep. And uh, it was one of those, like – 
God, I didn't feel Aaron get down. And I turn around <laughs> and look, and there you are. Just here I am. I'm, I'm a giant flagpole out here. Literally, I'm a, I'm a marching band. Yep, don't worry about me. This big, giant, fuzzy shotgun mic, yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> Well, oh, needless God. to say, I got down. <laughs> he never saw saw me, thank God. Somehow. I mean, it was, picture, for everybody listening, picture your driveway <laughs> and picture 60 yards down the driveway in the middle of the wide open, and that's they were staring at each other on it. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing that we didn't get busted right there. Oh, so. there's been some instances like that. Well, I mean, not, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But basically, that's what we wanted the podcast to be about is, like, just those, you know, there's so much footage that goes into a 30-minute TV show that we don't get to show because oh. you only have so much time. And oh. talking about those stories and kind of behind the scenes, like, doing this right now, like, I know before I was in this industry and everything, the behind the scenes was the stuff that I wanted to know the most. Yep. You know, and that's what a lot of people like to hear, too, and. I thought thought it'd be a cool, you know, we both thought it'd be a cool podcast to do, and we're working it out, and hopefully we'll do a do another one. It's a lot of work doing one right now. I tell you that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was supposed to have this podcast out yesterday. Yeah, way to go. Yeah, well, and that's my on my own terms, like I say every Wednesday. But now in the fall, I mean, how how much did we just sit around camp this the last fifteen oh, days? Not at all. Nothing. Not at all. When you have four thousand acres and you're trying to do it one human Stands or two humans, and cameras and hoof. And yeah, constantly just trying to get on deer. It's just you can't you can't do it. You know, that's why we're doing a podcast at, you know, six thirty on a Thursday night and it's pitch black dark and we're driving home and people are still looking at us really weird. So Well, like I said, I think it's cool what you're doing, man. I, I love uh I like being able to just come on and, and talk about some of this stuff and my approach that doesn't come through on the shows. Right. You know? Yeah. Because like you said, to your point, a show is what? What's a show now? Twenty-two minutes and thirty seconds of actual content. Twenty-two fifteen. Twenty-two fifteen, yeah, and, and yep. that's mandated by the network. We right. can't. We can't change that. Exactly. So, I mean, you figure if if we would have shot last night, and uh, you know we had shakes in the back of the truck right now. Yep. We'd have had fifteen days. Is that? What, I think we actually hunted fifteen days. Fifteen days. Yeah. We'd have had fifteen days of hunts and footage. Mm-hmm. That we had to condense into 22 minutes and 15 yeah. seconds. Yep. So, you know, and and I've had people say, "Well, I want to, you know, I want to hunt for a living. I want to do what you do. That's the greatest job in the world." It looks awesome when it's 22 minutes and 30 seconds condensed. It does. But I can promise you, it was 15 days that went into that. You know, so there is a side to it, and it's not like we're just strolling into an outfitter and you know everything's yeah. already done and ready to rock and roll and meals yep. are made for us and stuff like that. I mean. Chris and I do our own thing on our own farms because we were outfitters forever. We were guides forever. Right. You know, and that's, listen, there's nothing wrong with outfitters. It's a great way to do it. But for me, I like managing my own ground and right. finding my own deer. It's a hell of a lot more work. Yeah. But it's absolutely worth it. More rewarding. Yeah. In the long run, for me, it, it's what I enjoy. I enjoy the process, not just the hunt. Exactly. I enjoy the process of bettering the property the process of bettering the herd you know what i mean that that whole thing for me like there's an art and science to it for me so yeah. um you know it just uh, it's so hard to convey in one episode what actually goes down yeah you know and don't get me wrong we still are hunting for a living it's 15 days of a hell of a lot of fun yep you know but it, it's just hard to explain that in 22 minutes 30 seconds well and a lot of people too i mean on the hunt side of things you know people that are just going out and hunting you know they they go hunt in the morning, go hunt at night. Like, 
some I mean they don't do it every day not a lot of people get to do that every day they have you know a vacation that they go do that I mean this is we're getting up at 4 30 going to bed late like I'm going to bed like last night I crashed but (laughs) we've been going like you had a heavy snorkel on you were sawing logs I mean thick (laughs) thick snore but you know dumping footage every night I like to dump footage every night I have a journal that I write in because basically for me to be organized when I come back and edit the rest of the show and produce it you know in the off season i like to go back and look at that journal and i date it i you know the encounters we had what happened and it's just my log so it's all done right then you know it's a pain in the ass to it's like god i don't want to stay up here and log this footage but you got to you know yeah. a lot of people do it differently you know they'll shoot for three four days and then log it i like to do it every day because it's folded out by day by by person you know who's hunting you know because with us there's a lot of guys in the field every day like Chris has been hunting Ohio, so, you know, Lee's, Lee or Kyle's logging that footage, and, you know, I'd like to go in the day on the 30th of October. I'd li- I want to know who's hunting that day. Well, Chris right. was hunting, Casey was hunting, Cody was hunting, Chuck was hunting, and so, and all the footage is in their folders, so I can keep the storyline, I can bounce it back and forth. So that's just the best way I've found that yep. works the best. So, Well, I want to just touch on one last thing here, too, and you bring up a great point where, you know, there's a lot of people that, obviously don't get to do what we do every day there's a lot of people that have five days a year to hunt yeah 10 days a year to hunt two days a year to hunt uh you know everything that i try to share through stuff like this when i do is just my opinion oh yeah you know what i mean And and it's my opinion that i've come to the conclusion of after a lot of days in the field yeah and if i can help somebody be more successful by utilizing the 250 days a year that I have in the field or Mm -hmm. 300 days a year that I have in the field, the knowledge that I've learned, um, you know, to help somebody who may only have two days be more successful. Right. Dude, that's for me, that's it. Yeah. Like that's where it's at, you know, um, certainly don't take anything I say as, as, uh, you know, gospel, but at the same time, I do have a lot of experience in it. And if you use it and you're more successful with it, we'd love to hear about it because that's one of those deals where, that's what I'm here for. I'm exactly. here to try to help people. I'm here to, you know, I'm an open book. I've said that for a long time. I'll, I'll share anything with anybody yep. um, except locations. Uh, that's <laughs> locations are pretty iffy. Yeah, locations are very iffy. Well, so. and that's the same thing with me, too. You know, I haven't technically got to hold a bow in the rut in a while. But the thing is, is, like, I don't claim to be an expert at anything, but I've been in the field every day <laughs> yeah. for the last, you know, yep. however long, seven, eight years, every day, every Every, you know, section of the rut, or pre-rut, post-rut, you know, whatever it is. And I get to see a lot of things. And you and I collaborate a lot. And that's what I appreciate a lot, too, is, you you know, you ask my opinion on a lot of things. And we collaborate. And just, you know, it's nice to have another opinion, too. It's like, yeah. I do the same thing for you. If I'm going hunting my farms, I'll give you a text like, hey, you know, what do you think in this scenario? What should I do here? And it's just, yep. so it's. You know, I don't claim to be an expert. These are my opinions, too. And, you know, it's it's well, what works for us. And that's life in general, you know. Yeah. If, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> exactly. That's what I, I mean. That's that's I try to teach my sons that, both. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. So, you know, your your opinion when I'm out there, I value Chris's opinion when I'm out there. Yeah. You know, all that Same stuff. Same thing with Chris, yeah. You know, it's, it's that constant communication of, hey, what can we all do here that's going to help us, you know, be more successful and, right. and achieve our goal at the end of the day? Yep. Well, cool. 
Uh, I think kickoff has started, so I'm going to get off here and let's get this thing going. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Oh, jeez, here we go. Yep. All right, thanks, everybody, for listening, and I will see you next week. Peace. Wow. You know, that was so much information, and this is probably one of those podcasts that you're probably going to have to get a piece of paper and a pen and go back to <laughs> – and go back and listen to it over and over again just to jot down some notes. I mean, there's a lot of things that Chris and Casey both deploy in their repertoire as far as it's like whatever it's scent control or calling or, you know, whatever it be. And, you know, it it works. You know, I've seen it firsthand. And, you know, like Casey said, this isn't the Bible, basically. This is just, in his opinion, this is what works for him. So, Hopefully some of you can take a little bit out of this and and maybe deploy it on some of the things that you guys do and maybe it'll work for you as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and, uh, you know, and please go on to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave some feedback. All you got to do is go in there and click on the fall podcast and scroll down and there's a little section, you can do it right on your phone too. And uh, you can write in a little comment or something because... You know, once uh, once iTunes does their reviews and everything, and it and it just looks good with uh, with some reviews and ratings and everything, and it and it just bumps the podcast up even higher. So, I appreciate everybody's support. And uh, you know, tomorrow, November fifteenth, it is a holiday here in Michigan. And good luck to everybody out there. Be safe. Make sure you wear your hunter's orange. Make sure if you're hunting in a tree stand to wear your safety harness and uh, always know what you're shooting at. So, again. To all the hunters in Michigan, good luck tomorrow and uh, shoot straight. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.